Chapter Twenty One of Elusive Isabel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Elusive Isabel by Jacques Futrelle. Chapter Twenty One: A Slip of Paper. When the light of returning consciousness finally pierced the black lethargy that enshrouded him, Mr. Grimm's mind was a chaos of vagrant, absurd fantasies. Then, slowly, slowly, realization struggled back to its own, and he came to know things. First was the knowledge that he was lying flat on his back, on a couch, it seemed. Then that he was in the dark, an utter, abject darkness. And finally came an overwhelming sense of silence. For a while he lay motionless, with not even the movement of an eyelash to indicate consciousness, wrapped in a delicious languor. Gradually this passed, and the feeble flutter of his heart grew into a steady, rhythmic beat. The keen brain was awakening. He was beginning to remember. What had happened? He knew only that in some manner a drug had been administered to him, a bitter dose tasting of opium, that speechlessly he had fought against it, that he had risen from the table in the restaurant, and that he had fallen. All the rest was blank. With eyes still closed and nerveless hands inert at his sides, he listened. The while he turned the situation over in speculative mood. The waiter had administered the drug, of course, unless, unless it had been the courteous stranger who had replaced the newspaper on the table. That thought opened new fields of conjecture. Mr. Grimm had no recollection of ever having seen him before, and he had paid only the enforced attention of politeness to him. And why had the drug been administered? Vaguely, incoherently, Mr. Grimm imagined that in some way it had to do with the great international plot of war in which Miss Thorne was so delicate and vital an instrument. Where was he? Conjecture stopped there. Evidently, he was where the courteous gentleman in the restaurant wanted him to be. A prisoner? Probably. In danger? Long, careful attention to detail work in the Secret Service had convinced Mr. Grimm that he was always in danger. That was one reason, and the best, why he had lain motionless without so much as lifting a finger since that first glimmer of consciousness had entered his brain. He was probably under scrutiny, even in the darkness, and for the present it was desirable to accommodate any chance watcher by remaining apparently unconscious and for a long time he lay, listening. Was there another person in the room? Mr. Grimm's ears were keenly alive for the inadvertent shuffling of a foot, or the sound of breathing. Nothing. Even the night roar of the city was missing. The silence was oppressive. At last he opened his eyes. A pall of gloom encompassed him, a pall without one rift of light. His fingers, moving slowly, explored the limits of the couch whereon he lay. 
Confident at last that wherever he was, he was unwatched, Mr. Grimm was on the point of concluding that further inaction was useless, when his straining ears caught the faint grating of metal against metal, perhaps the insertion of a key in the lock. His hands grew still, his eyes closed, and after a moment a door creaked slightly on its hinges, and a breath of cool air informed Mr. Grimm that that open door, wherever it was, led to the outside and freedom. There was another faint creaking as the door was shut. Mr. Grimm's nerveless hands closed involuntarily, and his lips were set together tightly. Was it to be a knife thrust in the dark? If not, then what? He expected the flare of a match. Instead, there was a soft tread and the rustle of skirts. A woman! Mr. Grimm's caution was all but forgotten in his surprise. As the steps drew nearer, his clenched fingers loosened. He waited. Two hands, stretched forward in the dark, touched him simultaneously, one on the face, one on the breast. A singular thrill shot through him, but there was not the flicker of an eye or the twitching of a finger. The woman, it was a woman, seemed now to be bending over him. Then he heard her drop on her knees beside him, and she pressed an inquiring ear to his left side. It was the heart test. Thank God, she breathed softly. It was only by a masterful effort that Mr. Grimm held himself limp and inert, for a strange fragrance was enveloping him, a fragrance he well knew. The hands were fumbling at his breast again, and there was the sharp crackle of paper. At first he didn't understand. Then he knew that the woman had pinned a paper to the lapel of his coat. Finally she straightened up and took two steps away from him, after which came a pause. His keenly attuned ears caught her faint breathing, then the rustle of her skirts as she turned back. She was leaning over him again, her lips touched his forehead, barely. Again there was a quick rustling of skirts, the door creaked, and silence. Deep, oppressive, overwhelming silence. Isabel, was he dreaming? And then he ceased wondering and fell to remembering her kiss, light as air, and the softly spoken, thank God. She did care then. She had understood that day. The kiss of a woman beloved is a splendid heart tonic. Mr. Grimm straightened up suddenly on the couch, himself again. He touched the slip of paper which he had pinned to his coat to make sure it was not all a dream, after which he recalled the fact that while he had heard the door creak before she went out, he had not heard it creak afterward. Therefore, the door was open. She had left it open. Purposely? That was beside the question at the moment. And why, how, was she in Washington? Pondering that question, Mr. Grimm's excellent teeth clicked sharply together, and he rose. He knew the answer. 
the contract was to be signed, the alliance which would array the civilized world in arms. He had failed to block that, as he thought. If Miss Thorne had returned, then Prince Benedetto d'Abruzzi, who held absolute power to sign the compact for Italy, France, and Spain, had also returned. Stealthily, feeling his way as he went, Mr. Grimm moved toward the door leading to freedom, guided by the fresh draft of air. He reached the door, it was standing open, and a moment later stepped out into the starlit night. It was open country here, with a thread of white road just ahead, and farther along a fringe of shrubbery. Mr. Grimm reached the road. Far down it, a pinpoint in the night, a light flickered through interlacing branches. The tail lamp of an automobile, of course! Mr. Grimm left the road and skirted a sparse hedge in the direction of the light. After a moment he heard the engine of an automobile and saw a woman, barely discernible, step into the car. As it started forward, he staked everything on one bold move and won, his reward being a narrow sitting space in the rear of the car, hidden from its occupants by the tonneau. One mile, two miles, three miles they charged through the night, and still he clung on. At last there came relief. That's the place where the lights are, just ahead. There was no mistaking that voice raised above the clamor of the engine. The car slackened speed, and Mr. Grimm dropped off and darted behind some convenient bushes. And the first thing he did there was to light a match and read what was written on the slip of paper pinned to his coat. It was simply, My dear Mr. Grimm, by the time you read this, the compact will have been signed, and your efforts to prevent it, splendid as they were, futile. It is a tribute to you that it was unanimously agreed that you must be accounted for at the time of the signing, hence the drugging in the restaurant. It was only an act of kindness that I should come here to see that all was well with you and leave the door open behind me. Believe me when I say that you are the one man in whom I have never been disappointed. Accept this as my farewell, for now I assume again the name and position rightfully mine, and know, too, that I shall always cherish the belief that you will remember me as your friend Isabel Thorne. P.S. The prince and I left the steamer at Montauk Point on a tugboat. Mr. Grimm kissed the note twice, then burned it. End of chapter 21 Recording by Roger Moline